So we've sort of been asking ourselves this question, do you want to go deeper? Do you want to go deeper with the Lord? So we've been uh, introduced, reintroduced to the Holy Spirit, reintroduced to the splendours of the Holy Spirit, reintroduced to the obligations and responsibilities of the Holy Spirit. And I guess I just want to keep kind of asking that question is, do you want to go deeper? Do you want to trust more deeply? Do you want to hope more deeply? Do you want to love more deeply? And do you want that for your people? Do you want for that, that for, your, for your family, for your friends, for your workplace, whatever part of the journey they're on, do you want them to go deeper with God, with the Holy Spirit? If that's the case, then we really need to know more about what God, the Holy Spirit, is doing with us, what he's doing on earth. And remember how I talked about the earthiness of the Holy Spirit in that he is with us here on earth. And I might just pray. Father, thank you for not only sending your son, but then sending us the counsellor, your spirit, to be with us. Thank you, Father, for our church camp. Thank you, Lord, for the way that you minister to each of us. And Lord, it doesn't matter if there's distractions or if kids are a bit ratty or whatever, you're going to keep doing, keep doing your work. And I pray that in this little session now, you'd really speak. You'd speak deep into our hearts to the place that only you can go. And that we'd listen and love you all the more. And that we would trust more deeply. And that we would hope more deeply. And that we would love more deeply. And I pray that today, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit would be with us in Jesus' name. Amen. So, a little bit of revision. Seven splendors. This is like the fourth time, I think, that we've talked about them, or maybe the third time. First one, can you remember Kathy? Close. Life. Life. Andrew, can you remember another one? Life. Yep, the prophetic life. So we've got life, prophetic light. Power. power. What was that? Power. Oh, you said power. <laughs> presence. So we had life, power, presence, prophetic light. And then we talked about how one of the splendors was that God, the Holy Spirit, was powering up the sun, that he raised the sun. And then the seventh one? Abba Father. So... As we looked at that, I felt, I felt anyway, it was pretty splendid that he could have, uh, I guess, within us raised up a spirit that says king or God, which he, which he does, but the ultimate was father, Abba, father. That's what the Holy Spirit does within us. I thought that was pretty splendid. And so, yeah, the life, the power, the presence, father, son, spirit, God himself in-house with us. Now, and then we started on our seven beautiful responsibilities to God, the Holy Spirit. Remember, I asked the question, why did we have such a rubbish week? And I said there are a few different reasons, but one of the reasons might be that we have not realized or fulfilled our responsibilities to God, the Holy Spirit. It's such a splendid, spectacular, exhilarating gift that we're given God himself, that he would dwell with unholy sinners Unholy sinners made completely righteous in the blood of the Son. That's what the blood of the Son accomplished for us. I mean, how cool is that? How wonderful is that? But when we're given such a gift, just like Adam and Eve were given a beautiful gift of his presence, given a beautiful gift of life, given the beautiful gift of planet Earth, they had responsibilities, they blew it. 
Sometimes we can blow it with these uh, Holy Spirit responsibilities as well. And brothers and sisters, we have a responsibility towards God, the Holy Spirit. We have a responsibility to come to him. Remember, we talked about this, just going through a little bit more revision. We went first through the first three or four. We have a responsibility to come to him for that first thirst, that first time we realize deep down that we are eternally condemned without him, that we are festering in the flesh, that whatever good thing you enjoy now, it's rotting right in front of you. You're literally in a slow motion decay and you go, I need something beyond this. And suddenly you realize there's a love of Father God through his son, through the Holy Spirit. But then we talked about coming to him every time we realize there's a deficit or that we're thirsty in our day-to-day lives. We get a bit angry. We get a bit impatient. We get a bit bored. That is an opportunity and a responsibility to come to him. We realize we're sliding down a bit of a slippery slope towards something we're not happy with. The Holy Spirit shows us that and creates a thirst, creates a hunger. We've got to come back to the Lord. We've got to come back to him and ask him to help us. We realize that from Luke where it talks about asking, seeking, knocking, that is within the context of how much more will your Father in heaven give you the Holy Spirit or give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Asking, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking has this sort of daily idea. And then we said we have a responsibility to live by him. Remember, I talked about this room being filled with water. What would your desire be? For life, for air, for oxygen. That's the same kind of need, the same kind of spiritual reality that it is to live by the Holy Spirit. And Paul put it this way. He said, I say, live by the Holy Spirit and you won't gratify the desires of the nature. So you can live by the Spirit, you can shine in the Spirit or you can fester in the flesh. The constant battle, it's even there right now. It'll be there when you walk out that door. And yet God, the Holy Spirit, who is sovereign over all creation and sovereign over you, will have his way. And so he'll continue to make you thirsty, continue to require and call you to live by him. And so I just kind of just remember how I did this. I put all this together and I said, what does it mean to uh, live by him? We said that is That means we depend on him. And then I said, how? To pray. So prayer, it's funny because when you pray, you actually breathe out and then breathe in. And it's one of the few things that makes you stop whatever you're doing and just rely on something that's completely outside or outside of the physical existence. Do you know what I mean? Like prayer is such an intimate spiritual thing. You can do it any time. It's awesome. You can do it at any time. Uh, in your workplace, at home, wherever. And that's why we see certain verses like this from Ephesians that say, pray in the Spirit on all occasions. There are other verses like in Thessalonians, pray um, pray at all times. The idea there is that if you want to live by the Spirit and depend on the Spirit, then we are to pray. So I go to work, I get hammered in the crew room, or there's stuff going on, or You know, I'm just thinking, I'm feeling impatient or whatever. It's okay, I can fester in the flesh or I can shine in the spirit. Father, I need you. I need your spirit. That is what it means to live by him. That's why you're going to end up praying all the time, not as a duty, but as a great need. Like trying to get to the top of this room and get some oxygen. Like a starving man trying to get some uh, food. Like a thirsty person trying for water. It's, did you see where I'm going with that? We often see, I oh, pray on all occasions. That's, oh, I could never do that. It's because we've seen it like a duty, not like a need. And we actually, once you start really wanting to serve God and please God in your workplace, you suddenly realize you do need a supernatural power to show tangible love to people. 
And so to live by him is I hyphenated it all into one thing. Live, depend, pray on him. Live, depend, pray on him and in him. Live, depend, pray in him. Live by the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. And now we're on to part two. And what I wanted to do here, just bear with me for a moment. Um, what I wanted to do here was I just wanted to pray again. Remember last time we used one of Paul's prayers in Ephesians? I won't kneel this time because he doesn't actually say that he kneels this time. But last time we prayed that prayer. This is another one. And I want to pray it for you. I want to pray it for Willow. And you can look it up with me. We'll have an open-eyed prayer. That's okay as well. You don't have to shut your eyes. Ephesians 1 verse 15. Ephesians 1 verse 15. I love the way Paul writes because he'll just be writing and he'll be into some deep theological thought and then he'll just suddenly break off into a prayer. It could be a prayer of praise. It could be a prayer of intercession for the people that he's praying to. It's really cool. It's actually an interesting thing to trace out the Paul's of, the Paul's of prayer. The prayers of Paul. There's probably many Paul's of prayer throughout the centuries. but um, Let me pray this for us, eh? This is what he says. And just as an intro, he says, For this reason, and when he's just talked about awesome things to do with the kingdom, the cosmic kind of plan of where, how the church would come about, how saints are predestined in Christ, etc., etc. And then he says, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And here's his prayer. I keep asking, this is what I'm praying for Willowburn, that I'm praying for this little church, for each person here. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you might know him better, so that you might go deeper. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. That's a great, magnificent truth right there. And do you see what Paul is actually saying? He is saying that I need to pray that your eyes will be opened, the eyes of your heart, so that you'll see that. He's right there. He's depending on the Holy Spirit for the church at Ephesus and for all future generations that would read this. He's depending on the Holy Spirit to come and to open up our eyes. And so that's what we're depending on as well. And that's my prayer for you. So let's go through these. There's three, the last three. You might go, how was there four before? There is, except I just kind of clustered a few together and stuff. There's seven. You could come up with a whole bunch more maybe, but I've just come up with a seven. We have a responsibility to unify in him. Unity is often a divisive term. We have a responsibility to maintain oneness in him. Okay, so where do I get that from? I get that from Ephesians as well. Ephesians 4.3. Make every effort to keep the unity of the what? The unity of doctrine. The unity of club values. The unity of shared community values. The, the unity of some social justice cause. No, it is the unity 
of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. It's elsewhere as well. Colossians 3.15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. If there is any peace of Christ, where does peace come from in the Bible? Yes, but where, what is it a fruit of? Yeah, love, joy, peace. Okay, so the peace of Christ, any, anything to do with Christ, anything to do with God, it's always going to be the Holy Spirit. It may not always be mentioned uh, in, uh, directly, but indirectly, it's always there. Let the peace of Christ rule in your bodies. Sorry, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, since as members of one body you are called to peace. It is a spiritual reality that we are one. So the same spirit that is at work at Rick and was at work in him on his tractor last week, was at work in me out at work, was in work in Andrew, was in work in all of our you know, precious mums doing their thing at home, the, the, the singlies amongst us, it's the same Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians um, 13, 14, the last, and I used it just before, but the last verse in that chapter and in that book, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, or towards the end, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. John 17, who can remember our memory verse from a couple of ones ago? Luke, you gave it a pretty good hot. I'll start it off. I have given them the glory. Okay, that. Yep, oh, sorry, keep going, awesome. Yep, so that they may be... Brought to complete unity? Yes. No, close. So this is good. So it's, it's there. It's just a little bit fragmented. And often, often with memorization, I find once you've got it, it takes a month or whatever, but then you have to go back to it. And I have a little reminder thing. But I have, yeah. He says, I have, so it's Jesus praying. It's his last prayer. Remember I said there was something in his heart that was burning for his church, for his disciples. And this is what he says, I have, because he was about to go to the cross. It was very important. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them, even as you have loved me. So Jesus says there, I've given them the glory. Now we know in fullness that he has given them the Holy Spirit. So it's not something you have to conjure up and work really hard at. It's something that's given and it's just a, um, a call to make every effort to keep that, to maintain that unity. It's sort of like this flow of water and it's coming through, it's keeping us clean, it's keeping us one. And then what we can do is we can throw contaminants in it sometimes or we can disrupt it by putting rocks where they shouldn't be, putting little dams where they shouldn't be. Do you know where I'm sort of going with that metaphor? It's, it's like this powerful flow and then we disrupt it. But of course... God, the Holy Spirit, is not a dove. He is sovereign. He will not be thwarted by that. And so he continues and to make us thirsty for oneness. I believe all true Christians will be thirsty for real oneness, for real unity. And I kind of think that this is the one thing in the world that makes the church hemorrhage authenticity. I'll say that again. It makes the church hemorrhage authenticity when it is divided. It's a joke. Why would you believe in this club called Christianity when there are so, so many fights, so many fights, so many this and that? Some fights there have to be, don't get me wrong about that. But let's just for a moment do a little mind game. 
you know, a little uh, mind experiment. Let's cross out, make every effort. Have you, thought, have you ever thought what that looks like to make every effort? Like if, if I said to you, make every effort to get out of this room, you'd be all over each other, you know, you'd be you're struggling, fighting. You wouldn't just be sitting there like you are now, would you? Same, same, it says here, make every effort. What, what does that look like? Of course, it's going to be in the power of the Spirit. But let's say we just don't bother, we don't care. The first thing you'll lose is authenticity. The world won't know that Jesus was sent from the Father because there won't be that supernatural X-factor love. Secondly, there'll be no edification and encouragement when you come together. There'll just be divisiveness. More than that, broadly across Christendom, certain groups and tribes will not enjoy the gifts that have been given to those other so-called tribes. So on one side of the house, you'll have really watertight doctrine, but missing out on beautiful uh, hand-raising music. On the other side, you'll have hand-raising music, awesome, moving the spirit powerfully within us. Uh, but, you know, just fuzzy doctrine that really makes you wonder what's going on sometimes. Now, I don't believe for a moment they're not true Christians on either side. <clears throat> but do you see where I'm going with that? That's what we miss out on. And the world looks in and there's your tribe, there's that tribe. What would I believe in that club? It's all over the shop. We can't, have doctrine, um, we can't have unity based on doctrine. We will work hard in this church to be precise about our doctrine because he introduces us to the living God. We can't have shared values, unity, because our sinful natures just, they just uh, rebel against that. We can't have a club kind of tribe unity. We've got to have and be making every effort to maintain the unity of the spirit. Um, anyway, enough on that, but... I really believe that a reason a lot of churches do not have power is because of this unity. I'm talking true unity, not fuzzy theological unity where, you know, we've just given up theology or we're given up true practical functional love, like word and spirit, spirit and grace, grace and truth, love and knowledge. It's, it all goes together. Let me ask you this. Remember I said before we were going to do a little test and just go, the early church in Acts, were they responsible to the Spirit? Were they fulfilling the responsibilities of the Spirit? Well, let me ask you, were they unified? But be careful because it's like, well, um, thanks to Camille, she shared this with us before. Thanks. It was Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles and all the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and good. That certainly looks like oneness. It was a powerful oneness. It was an evangelical oneness. It was a oneness that preached a sermon without any words. They were preaching with words as well though. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. But let me tell you, it was not a fairy floss unity. Let me read you something. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them, but Paul didn't think it was wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with him in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement, and that Greek word for sharp disagreement is like bitter. If you'd have walked in on them, you would have gone, felt the emotion, the intensity. You would have gone, well, what is going on here? If I asked you that question again and said, were they unified? You'd be going, not there. How about this? Galatians. When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he drew back. 
So that's Paul speaking. He called him on his hypocrisy to his face. That doesn't sound very unified, does it? Well, actually, it was. One, unity is not going to be this perfect kind of kumbaya, kind of singing together all the time. There's going to be those harder times. Let me show you what happened to Barnabas, Paul, and John Mark. At the last, the last few verses, and I know we've gone through this with most of you before, but for some that haven't heard this, 2 Timothy, Paul writes again about this guy called John Mark that caused the sharp disagreement. And, t- and he says in Timothy 2, Timothy, do your best to come to me quickly. This is Paul's last words. He's probably going to die after this. Demas has deserted me. Um, Crescens has gone to Galatia. Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he's helpful to me in my ministry. Somehow or another, there'd been restoration there. We aren't told all the details, but we know from that there was restoration. There was an effort to maintain the unity when it was disrupted, an effort to restore it. How about this? I mean, if you were Peter and Paul had said that to you, I'd be smarting, wouldn't you? Like if someone, if Andrew just stood up and rebuked me in front of you right now, I'd be feeling that. And he might do it correctly and rightly, but I'd be feeling it. This is what Peter writes. Bear in mind, this is also towards the end of his life. Um, I always think it's funny, these guys, when you look at them at the start of their life and then the end of their life in the Bible, it's pretty cool. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking to them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort, as they do the other, district, as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. Notice there he says the other scriptures. That's the Old Testament. He's counting Paul's words as scripture. And not only that, he's saying, my dear brother Paul. How cool is that? This was not a light-hearted, fairy floss, kind of feel-good, kumbaya unity. This was a cool, real, authentic unity. Many disagreements, but every effort made. You know one of the most basic things you can do to maintain the unity of the saints? Is just ask yourself this question. Or maintain the unity of the spirit. Is ask yourself this question when you're having a disagreement with someone or you might even think they're a heretic. Has God accepted them? Ask that as a Holy Spirit question. Has God accepted them? When you see something online, on the internet, has God accepted them? And if the answer comes back, I'm not saying accepting maybe the wrong thing they're saying right there that you're concerned about, but has God accepted them? Has his blood washed them? If so, be very careful. Let's just be led and be discerning by the Spirit, not by books or whatever else. Let's read, but let's be led by the Spirit in that as well. We have a responsibility to be alert in him. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Now, you guys know the spiritual armour of God. I'm sure you were taught it even as a young person. Do you notice something here, though? So he says, put on the the armour. So the armour, the helmet of salvation, you've got the sword of Spirit, shield of faith, 
breastplate of righteousness, belt of truth, shoes of the readiness of the gospel. He says, put all that on. Our battle's not against flesh and blood. It's against the spiritual powers, the spiritual principalities. And then he says, be alert. But what does he say next? Always keep on praying for all the saints. I only noticed this recently. I've always thought, yep, I've got to be alert. Like I'm kind of guarding myself. I've got my shield up. I've got my sword. I'm ready. Always be alert and sorry, always keep on praying for all the saints. You see what, see what that is? This is mutual support. They love this in the Australian Army, mutual support. Three, uh, everything's done in threes, so you can have mutual support. So this whole idea of being alert in him is actually being alert for the saints, being alert for, for you, my brothers and sisters. Praying. Paul's asking that once you put on the spiritual armor, be alert for your mates. Mateship. Brothers and sisters, looking after each other. I think that's so cool. Of course, it's looking after yourself as well, but it's looking after everyone else. Be alert. That is done in the spirit. See what it says there? It's sort of like, oh, I must imagine all the armor coming on. And then as we're praying in the spirit, every piece is energized by the power of the spirit. That's how I imagine it. Um, so how alert are we? You know, we're told elsewhere to guard the good deposit. Jesus says, watch and pray. He says it three or four times. And, it's all, and, and, and he even says to them then, because, you know, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So watch and pray. Be alert. We have a responsibility to be alert. Were they alert in the early church? I remember Paul, I think it was Eliamus, the magician. Paul's trying to, to preach the gospel. Eliamus is just like distorting and Paul just says, stop that. And that guy's blind. Like he's alert to distortions. Simon. Remember Simon, the magician? Hey, hey, can I have that gift of the Holy Spirit? I'll pay for it. Ah, get away. They're alert. Later on, Paul says to the elders at Ephesus, be alert. Watch out. Watch out for wolves, both from within and from without. And of course, here in, uh, in Ephesus, he's saying, be careful. Stay on guard. Your real battle is against spiritual powers. Okay, last one. We have a responsibility to worship in him. Now, you will note in our progression as we've reintroduced ourselves to the Holy Spirit, we have not started with the gifts of the Holy Spirit, have we? We've started with who God the Holy Spirit is. We've done that for a reason. Because you know what? To me, the gifts are awesome for our worship times. The gifts are something that a really special, I don't, I don't, I've never really seen it in a church no, I'm done well or done properly, uh, done even necessarily biblically. There always seems to be some disproportionate thing. Um, and I'm not too concerned, I'm not too concerned, is that me? Oh, <laughs> the kids on the wall, that's super funny. Um, <laughs> I thought it was a speaker. Anyway, so when we come together as to worship, though, we have a responsibility to worship in the spirit. I don't know if you realize that. So you know how I was saying before we have a responsibility to realize that we can either fester in the flesh or shine in the spirit. So it's a matter of live, pray, depend on him. We come in together and we're coming in in the power of the spirit. We have a responsibility to go, OK, I'm coming into this congregation together. It's not just going to be Adrian out the front or Tim leading the singers. I am going to interact. I am going to serve. I am going to worship in the spirit. I don't want to come into this congregation in the flesh. 
I want to come in the spirit. Because you can sit there in the flesh. You can fall asleep. You can get distracted. You can, um, I don't know, get angry, irritated at people. You know, all that kind of stuff can happen. But if we come in the spirit, we come determined to be in the spirit when we worship, that's going to be an awesome thing. As it says there in Philippians, we who worship by the spirit of God. I'm talking about our corporate worship. Same thing when you're out there on the road and you want to just worship God. You want to raise your hands or you just want to you know, do well in obeying him, that ultimate form of worship. But more so here in the corporate sense, we who worship by the spirit, of, we worship by the spirit of God. Colossians 3.16 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. And as you sing psalms, hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. So let the word of Christ dwell in you. If something is dwelling in you of Christ, that again is a Holy Spirit function. So we are here to worship by the Spirit of God. Now, this is from 1 Corinthians. When you come together, I want you to notice the key word. Everyone. Everyone has a hymn or a word of instruction, and a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. We're going to do another sermon later on, or a session, not at camp, about these gifts. But just notice for now that all of these are done for what? The strengthening, the strengthening of the church, the edification of the church. So if you do not have that, that unity, if you do not have that worship of the Spirit, guess what? You have a church that is malnourished, because God's means of grace, God's flow of grace that comes through each of the, the members of the body being gifted and then expressing those gifts is not being manifested. And so little wonder, little wonder that churches struggle. And you know what? You can easily go into a church and have an awesome entertainment experience and be just as malnourished spiritually as when you went in. None of the churches, none of the churches out there require a band they're cool though, I like cool bands, like music. They don't require an eloquent speaker. They don't require awesome architecture for this verse to be fulfilled. All it requires is that we worship by the Spirit and surprising things can happen with minimum resources. And that's why I call us a little church. It's actually a play on words. It's like a little church that punches way above its weight. A little church that hopefully, if it's little in all these things, will be big in the spirit. So I just want you to, I guess, ask, and as we finish off, and as we, I might call the elders up now, is you think about worshipping him in the early church in Acts, and then obviously as it's expressed in some of the other letters, and you do see houses being sh shook, shaken, as they're praying. You see signs and wonders. Yeah, I, uh, that's been there all along as a... The screen shaking, that's all part of the... No. Um, you, you do see that, don't you? But you also see the mundane done well. You see, again, I always use the example of the Thessalonian church because Paul tells them just to do their normal, uh, normal thing, just to work. And yet the message rings out from them. That's the Holy Spirit at work. And you see these worship times where they come together and everyone has something to offer. And I really want you guys over the next couple of weeks to read for yourselves 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14. Um, other places, Romans, end of Romans talks about the spiritual gifts as well. But 
what, I guess what I really want to say is what would this look like at the burn? Could be a bit scary. If everyone, everyone is worshipping in the spirit. Now I've actually seen this happen a few times at this church where someone will just bring out maybe a verse. Then someone else will go, I was reading that same verse or I was reading a verse that really tied in. Then someone else goes, look, I just feel like God is saying this. That is a prophetic type of gift right there. It is not the same as the Old Testament prophetic gift of thus says the Lord and everyone just listens and shuts up and obeys or rebels and wears the consequences. We're told in the New Testament that two or three are supposed to weigh that up. And so I always think it's good with a bit of a spirit of humility to go, look, I do think that God is saying this, but I could be wrong, but I'm going to say it to you anyway. And you know what? The spirit inside you, because it's the same spirit, will leap or will convict you or will just go, boom, he's right. You li listen. That could be one way it looks. Someone else, we're going to try something now. It could be a bit embarrassing. But if I just start singing, Will you sing with me? I don't have a very good voice. Okay. <laughs> Who thinks they know what the song is? Where I'm going with this is... Um, where I'm going with this is, like, I know we don't seem to be too good at remembering, remembering verses. I'm just going to keep encouraging anyway to remember Bible verses. But songs were written originally to help the saints who often were illiterate to remember key truths. Now, wouldn't it be great in this church if we could remember songs? It'd be great to have like a memory song that we just learn uh, for a month. And we all know it and I could text the words out or whatever. Man, you could be in your workplace or at home. You just start singing. I've already heard people say they're doing that. I, I texted Peter and Sandy, I think, in Christ alone. Or maybe it was how deep the Father's love. I can't remember. But I know that if, if, they, if they sing that there, there's just something that changes oftentimes. But imagine in our meeting places, we're just, we're broken off into prayer and then one of us start, starts singing. You ready? No. Okay, it's my favourite. Tim knows what it is. It's my favourite song. Here we go. I'm going to start. Let the world say I am rich. Just imagine our worship times when we have that chair and prayer, prayer time. Someone just goes, I want to sing this song, and we already know what it is, and we just break out. That's how it might also look. And all these are done for the strengthening of the church. You know, I love the way people get together, and hopefully in the spirit they prepare, they put music together, they choreograph things, we have the soundboard going. That's awesome. Love that. Don't want to lose that. But there's also this other part of it, that extemporaneous, just let's sing now. The Spirit has brought this song, and so we do. I'd love to see, I'm just going to encourage the songwriters amongst us. You know what? Chris Tomlin's an awesome dude, but you guys, if you've got a heart to write, then 
Worship in the Spirit. Start writing songs that we can really relate to in Australia, to our current workplace or whatever, knowing that it's come from one of our own. That would be awesome. Anyway, so I'm just going to invite the elders to come up and we're just going to have our Dwell Richly session.